Welcome to the Catapulting Commission's podcast. This is the place where we discuss how to maximize performance and improve retention with today's modern sales force. Every conversation on the show has one goal in mind, and that is to catapult your commission. I'm your host, Anthony Garcia, international best-selling author, motivational speaker, and a lifelong sales enthusiast. Be sure to join me every week as we interview sales leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. We will discuss best practices and ensure that you leave motivated and inspired to take action. Now, let's enjoy today's episode. Catapulted Commissions family, what's up team? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Catapulted Commissions podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Garcia. So here's the deal, guys. We have been running this show for three years long, three years strong, and the guests continue to deliver more and more value. Today's guest, let me just share with you the bio of today's guest, give you some insight on who we're speaking to. And if you are a high-performing sales professional or you've always had this idea of how do these startups scale and grow, you're going to want to listen to this show today. Evan Krapko is started at the company Trust Science with his brother, Shane. He is a serial entrepreneur and investor, having served as a CEO or advisor for numerous innovative, innovative startups, including Flow Networks, which was acquired by DoubleClick for $80 million. He followed that up by developing Plate Spin, which was acquired by Novell for $205 million. Prior to Trust Science, Evan uh, and his brother founded and within 30 months sold a uh, cloud storage pioneer dock space for $568 million. So when I say we, we found some of the best in this startup space, the numbers speak for themselves. Evan's a CPA. He's an attorney with a degree from Columbia University. He is a Henry Crown Fellow and a member of YPO and has been named to the Real Leaders Global 100, along other names you may know as Bill Gates, Richard Branson, and Elon Musk. And I'm extremely proud, excited, and humbled. Evan, welcome to Catapulting Commissions. Hey, Anthony, thanks. Happy so, to be here. Glad to have you here. So, Evan, let's, let's start with the simples here. Trust science, is, this is the fourth adventure you've been on? I mean, you're, as a serial entrepreneur, we listed three that have gone well. I'm assuming there's some that may have not gone well, but give us a little background on your entrepreneur journey and bring us up to speed about what trust science is, who you serve, and the problem you're solving in the market. Yeah, no, there's, there's definitely been failures along the way, and the cliche, but it's true, is you learn more from those. Um, the, the successes have allowed me to do trust science, and uh, it was the, the origin story there was after having been betrayed by three different business partners in different incidents over the years. Uh, I thought maybe I give out my, my trust too readily. I'm, I'm too uh, trusting. And is there a way to get my gut out of the equation? And being a technology commercialization guy, is there a way to do that with you know, tech? And at the time, um, big data and AI were not yet very well understood, uh, except for in the movies, and it was all scary stuff. Um, so I, I put this together um, over a space of time that involved and required breaking through a lot of difficult uh, technology answers or solutions to some pretty tough problems with data and AI. And we have now 45 different patents around the world in multiple countries. So that's a testament to my team and, and their inventiveness and, and smarts. Um, the science of trustworthiness is really 
uh, it's predicting what a human being is going to do. So we've built this as a platform, uh, very generic that way, no, no limitation on the use cases. However, uh, rule of thumb number one in technology commercialization is you really do, A, you do want to build a global platform that's uh, generic, but B, when you go to market, you want to be hyper narrowly laser focused. So the opposite. Uh, the, the generic and global piece gives you optionality and lets you pivot into other things if what you uh, picked didn't work. And what we're picked, what we've picked and, and are working really hard, uh, the hyper narrowly laser focused piece of this is going to assessing people for whether or not they will repay their loans. So you give them money, will they give it back? That's the basic question. We're, we're even more narrow than that in not going for all lenders. It's directed to uh, lenders who are serving the underserved community or the financially excluded and marginalized consumer uh, borrower. So our, our my customers are uh, consumer finance companies or um, the enlightened lender uh, household names who want to uh, help the uh, underprivileged. Well, one, so much to peel back there. Thank you for, for acknowledging and admitting you've had failures, right? Nobody comes on this show and is like, oh, I was perfect. I scaled. I grew. Everyone shares they failed. So catapulting commissions family. I bring that up on every guest because I want you to know we've all failed numerous times. We just keep getting back up. So if that's you, it's okay. Number two, this, uh, I, I like how you said, right? You start with the global, then you go with like this laser focus. And I, I want to piggyback on that in a quick second because uh, I know within my own consulting business, when I have that conversation with clients, I always get the same, I get the same rebuttal and I, I'm going to bring it up to you and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but let's talk a little bit more in depth on trust science. So you're predicting human behavior when it comes to lending money. How is this different? And this, this may be, from, forgive me for not understanding, how is this different than the traditional credit bureaus that say, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're a personal bank, if you're a personal loan, then, you know, they look at your credit score. If, if they're looking at your corporate credit score from a business owner, um, if they're looking at a PG for something, I mean, there's all these credit bureaus that say you're worthy to invest money. You're worthy to be a startup, whatever it is. How is this different? Uh, the, the difference here is the, the platform nature and being able to harness in a lot more alternative data sources. So the big guys, my multi-billion dollar competitors are um, like FICO or Equifax and TransUnion and Experian. They are looking at uh, data that's easy to get, or they're looking at data that their customers, the lenders are giving them. So they're, they're the, the furnishing or the reporting that happens on you that you agreed to, whether you know it or not, it's in the fine print. When you took the loan, you agreed that your bank, your credit card um, issuer is going to uh, tell on you every month for the rest of your life or the rest of your relationship. They, they report to the bureaus. And, and our customers do the same thing with us as well. Um, the difference with us is that we're also looking at a lot of other information, unconventional. Um, it has to be compliant. So there's a big, huge barrier to entry here where the FCRA uh, and the CFPB and other government, federal, and uh, state uh, jurisdictions, they have a lot to say about consumer protection and, 
anti-bias and fairness and so on. So I have a big, big hurdle to crawl uh, to um, clear in making sure I'm doing this in a legal way. But the um, the data is one aspect of it, and the methods that we're using, the AI and, and being pure about machine learning and not cheating, not not going to scorecards or not going to linear regression, which is the old style of doing this kind of work. It allows me to accurately score people who don't have a lot of data. It allows me to properly score um, people whose data might seem on the surface like it's conflicting. And it even lets me score people who don't have a credit history. That's the big one. It, it's the new to country or new to credit young people. So it's, it's, a, it's the bringing together of a lot of computing power and, and methods that up until recently were not that accessible and harnessing them or training them onto uh, a big, huge economic problem because the, the credit scores are everybody's on-ramp into the modern economy. And when that's not being done well, that w- <laughs> if it's not being done well, that should be criminal because what ends up happening is people end up getting hurt or marginalized further. Yeah, it's it's almost as if the technology trust science comes in is disrupting what what I feel, and this is in my understanding only as a consumer, personal credit, corporate credit. That is that is my my extent. Um, but it's always an I feel like it's an automated decision. Like it's just here's here's my info, here's my social, here's my Duns number, here's my EIN. Oh, you want to see my bank statements and tax records? Here it is. And some way, shape, form, or another, it's just an automated decision. If it works out great, no one told me why they said yes. If I was told no. You know, it's usually some some simple generic response. But with these decisions being automated, and you you are the best expert I know to answer this question here. If we're making, if the traditional lenders are making these decisions in an automated fashion, aren't these financial institutions making some mistakes along the way? And if so, like what, mis- I mean, what mistakes are they making? And you said the impact for us is catastrophic because, you know, I definitely think, uh, the the result of bad lending we've all seen we've been around long enough but are there some key mistakes big institutions are making when they have these automatic decisions yeah absolutely so no system is perfect um but what you want to do is reduce the false negatives and reduce the false positives so the false negatives are you're a bad risk in whereas in fact you would rather lose your left arm than, than you know, welch on a debt. Um, the false positives are, oh, you know, you, you get some money, but really um, you never intended to repay the money. That just makes it worse for everybody because that lender who is not a charity, uh, he's losing the principal amount of the money, right? Mm-hmm. And has to charge a higher interest rate to all the other customers. So it's it's the twin falses or the two false um, uh, aspects, false positives and false negatives are what you're looking at reducing. So just because I show up, I'm not automatically raising everybody's credit score by, you know, X number of points. Um, we have to accurately and properly score the whole population. That's the, that's the issue. And and it's um, there may be people who are not deserving that uh, shouldn't be getting the funding that you want to also prevent because that's the, um, you know, the, 
the fraud or the the con artist types or the false identities stuff that goes on. Uh, you need to be able to block that too or detect that uh, just as just as importantly as you be, need to be able to uh, uh, assess someone who is worthy. Mm. It's 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 fascinating to me that we have found. And I guess it's not, I'm not shocked based on your background, your bio, I'm not shocked that we found a traditional market that needed to be disruptive and you created that disruption. Uh, so, so kudos to you for the growth uh, of your company, uh, Catapulting Missions Family. Go to trustscience.com. You can check out Evan's company and see how he's changing uh, what for most of us has been just a traditional network. And if you're not in that space, you know, you don't really look into it into tons of detail, but we all can agree and appreciate that. We, as a, as a human society, we are continuing to grow because we continue to disrupt old, antiquated technology that was always the way it was, and we're bringing new data and new insights. So congratulations on that. Now, Evan, I, I want to piggyback something. Now, let's, let's talk a little bit about the growth of the organization. You've done this numerous, time, numerous times where you've scaled companies, you've grown companies. You shared a little while ago that you came to market this wide like open, big, big company, but you were hyper-focused. And when you, the phrase you used was hyper-narrow-focused, to be exact, on how you were going to break into that market. When companies are in this stage, startup companies that are wanting to grow and scale, and we have conversations, and I've had them with, with, with clients and prospective clients, and said, hey, how are we going to break through? Like, how are we going to become known? Like, what is the, what is the 100% this is all I'm going to do? And I always get the FOMO, right? But what about this other market? It's like, it's like that entrepreneur's dilemma. Like I can serve everybody and that's, that's just bullshit. It doesn't, it's not reality. So how did you and, and your brother and your co-founder, how did you guys decide what lane you were going to be hyper narrow focused in? And once you made that decision, how did you stick to it? Yeah, great question. Um, we actually uh, brainstormed a bunch of the different industries or use cases, um, ranging from you know law enforcement, homeland security, through um, online dating or making uh, better matches on Airbnb or Uber and that kind of thing. The um, the the fact of us being AI based uh, had an issue in that you need to get data down to zeros and ones. And so in some of those use cases, it would require analyzing, you know, grainy video or in other use cases, unstructured text and in others, you know, different languages and so on, or, or images and pictures. And so getting down to zeros and ones uh, for the benefit of the AI was easiest in a numbers-based uh, industry. And so lending, mm. insurance underwriting too, but that's even a little further away from uh, you know, dollars and cents. So numbers are already halfway through to zeros and ones. The other thing about AI is that it needs training. It, it needs to be trained or to learn. And so you need to feed it both good outcomes and bad outcomes. So you can get into lots of funny conversations over, over drinks about what's a good or a bad outcome in say a hiring or in a online dating in uh, environment in, in, in lending. It's very, very clear. It's, you know, the money is repaid as agreed, or it's not, or it's late paid, or it's, you know, paid on time. And so the, the, 
the features of the industry lent themselves well to the platform that we had. Um, then we just, we brought in uh, uh, representatives or people from those industries, call it like a, not so much panels or focus groups, but individuals who could talk to each of those different industries and in, interviewed them essentially around what we had and what we were thinking. And it was, it became very clear through that exercise that the, the lenders were in a lot of pain. They were these falses that I mentioned, false positives and false negatives, especially for the, the bottom half of the economy where, where the big credit bureaus do not do a very good job. That was ripe for being fixed and solving a lot of pain. And the, the company's mission all the way along is to allow deserving people to get what they deserve. So it was on mission. It was uh, very, uh, uh, you know, measurable or and uh, clear in terms of being addressable um, with the technology. So those those were the that's what made lending to the down market um, making. That's what made that industry or sub subsector um, obvious to us. And then the other half of your question is, how do you stick to it? Well, it's, it was hard. Even even within that, there there are more delineations. So you can do automobile lending, which we are experts at. We can do uh, installment unsecured consumer lending, which we are experts at doing. But then what about mortgages? What about credit cards, student debt, buy now, pay later? It's, the list is very long. <clears throat> Your recreational vehicles and other things. We we just it's been hard. Um, but sticking to those two and putting them up on our website kind of helped us. Uh, it was a bit of a guardrail so that if someone came in with, uh, you know, will you help me score students for student loans? We could say, well, yes, but um, we'll do that later. We first have to stick our landing in this sub, sub, sub sector of, you know, down market or subprime automobile and, and installment lending. You know. Hearing this journey, it's it's fascinating, right? Catapult to Commission's family. I mean, you're hearing the insights behind the development of a scaling organization, not by someone who's brand new to this. Evan has scaled numerous companies and has exited for handsome rewards. You hear him just, just I mean, in the simplest, purest form, you did the research, you committed, you identified and you you truly said, okay, here's where we're gonna, here's our lane. This is the one lane we're going to excel in. Doing that research, Evan, how how long, just time wise, did it take you guys to do the research and say, hey, here's where we were gonna commit to? Yeah, that that was long. Like that was where the the stomach for doing this and the staying power um, was necessary. It, it it's measured in in our case, in years, and maybe that's because I'm, um, you know, slow, <laughs> slow learner, whatever. But um, truthfully, some of that was because we were too early in the game. There is such a thing in technology commercialization where when you're ahead of the market and the signals for that are there, there, there's no purchase orders. So rule of thumb, number one, or Number one is build something as global and as generic as you can as a platform um, before then rule 
thumb number two get hyper narrowly laser focused on your go to market. But rule of thumb number three is that <clears throat> there is no money in education. So even if after you've done all that to the best of your ability, you're getting meetings, but no orders, meetings, but no purchase orders, or, or uh, you know, you can't send an invoice, then all that's happening is that you are educating the market. That is a really bad place to be. And then, and that's rule of thumb number three, there's no money in education when you're trying to commercialize technology. Um, stop, <laughs> find a better, you know, more amenable market. Or if you have the capacity, what we did was we stopped bleeding on the outbound sales and marketing, doubled down on the, the hard technology problems we were solving, applied for all those patents that I mentioned, and then re-emerged, like came out of stealth mode later when the, the world or the market had caught up to what we were doing. Because at the beginning, there was a lot of joking around about Hal and Skynet and when are my Terminator robots going to take over the world? Because to their defense, what people knew about AI at that time came from the movies and it was scary. <laughs> and so when we, when we went into stealth mode or got off the grid and, and came back later, in the meantime, the world caught up to the fact that, you, oh, yeah, AI is a real thing. And, you, oh, yeah, it can be applied in real-world business solutions or problems. So um, that was, yeah, the, the answer to your question is that it, it took a period measured in some number of years, single-digit years, not, not 20 years or anything like that. But it, it was not easy. Um, and it definitely drew on every ounce of um, commitment to the mission and uh, having the team members around you who saw it the same way you did, because you face a lot of skepticism, <laughs> both both from from friends and well-meaning, you know, relatives who are looking out for your best interests and wondering if you've, uh, you, you know, you've totally uh, lost it. Um, but equally, um, being in touch with the market and and taking their healthy skepticism in a positive direction, meaning learn from it and address it. Don't hide from their skepticism or don't, don't poo poo it, address it with your technology. And then when, when they, um, when they start to see it in action, um, or when they start to see their competitors using you, a, a, a switch flips and you're into a different mode of operating after that. It's it's so enlightening to hear you break this down because it's it's one hundred percent true. You the research, the time you spent to uncover this, I, I I'm glad you share that. I, I wish more founders would truly gain that understanding, like, hey, what's this lane I'm gonna go into? But even more so, you came from an analytical approach and you said, you know, there is no money in education. And I I we're gonna have to share that over and over again because I literally tell my clients if your sales force is spending more time educating on the problem you're trying to solve your problem is not big enough for someone to want to pay for it just yet and and that is that is you know that is universally applicable across all industries like if you really think about it if we have to educate the problem we're solving is it really a problem so to hear it at the scale you're talking about and to some of you listeners just hearing that within your own small business, ask yourself that question. So I, I love that. Oh, Evan, as, as we pivot here, we have a few minutes here. I, I want to talk about the sales process for your company. How 
are, I mean, what is the process look like for generating revenue for your company? Because you're, you're in a startup, you mentioned your competitors, which are conglomerates. So I always look at when startups come and they try to disrupt technology, how does that sales process look like? Like where, where is your team spending time? Who is doing the sales and what does that look like? Right. So um, obviously at the beginning that, that starts with the founder, mm-hmm. um, often the best salesperson. Um, initially, you want to do a couple of things. One is there's such a thing as a, as a, as a bad customer or a customer who's not the right customer for you right now. So in the initial days, the early adopters are worth more than their weight in gold. Even if on other measures, they might not seem ideal, the fact that they're willing to work with you and give you the ingredients, which could be as simple as feedback that you need. Um, in our case, we also needed back then data. Um, anyone willing to uh, cooperate like that because they themselves wanted to be at the, 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 um, the leading edge of their industry. In my case, the lenders wanted to be the leading lenders. That's golden. So uh, pick your customers, part of it, or your prospect. The other part of it is start high. If you are doing something that's disruptive or you're dramatically expanding on a, on a pre-existing category, then um, by definition, you kind of have to be at the board of directors level or where the mandate is to be strategic. Um, the CEO and other C-level officers should also be thinking strategically, obviously. But if you can find a board of directors member uh, to introduce you to the executive suite, um, then you're, you know you're dealing with a, a company that's probably you know, wired for what you need them to be in their, you know, their own DNA as a, the way they want to operate or be modern or themselves be a disruptor in their industry if that's what you're helping them to do. So it's, it's a top-down approach for sure. Um, <clears throat> you also end up that way uh, enjoying, after you've succeeded with them, the, the strength of the reference that you get from them as an account is uh, much more impactful. So you can go to our website and see letters on their letterhead from the CEOs of those companies, not uh, you know someone four or five levels removed. You're seeing the CEO of my customer saying trust science knows what it's doing. They've been transformative. They were easy to work with and they've, um, you know, helped us make more money or they've helped us to help our borrowers, that kind of thing. It, it means a lot more, let's say, coming from a C-level officer or board of directors member than it would come be coming from, you know, a branch manager of, you know, one of their 500 branches. It, um, yeah. That, and then the other thing I would say is be transparent. Don't, they're going to find out you can't trick them into buying, or if you trick them into buying it may end up being a waste of everybody's time and money, especially your own. Uh, if that doesn't end up being a good fit. So be transparent. And, and that sounds hard or it is hard uh, when you're not perfect and all built out and got a brand, you know, fortune 500 logo behind you. You're, you're showing, you're, you're transparently divulging your uh, weaknesses, hardest thing to do. And, and not very many 
um, uh, I, I would say not many, very many of the, the poor salespeople know how to do that. Uh, they would rather spew, you know, show up and throw up and just yak about features and, and exaggerate capabilities and so on. Not the right answer, not the right approach. You're going to betray their trust of the buyer. Uh, they will find out anyway that really glowing reference that I was talking about doesn't yet come because they feel that they've uh, been taken advantage of. So it's those two things come from the top uh, with uh, early adopters and, and be transparent. And that, that ends up meshing really well because then they'll be transparent back to you and they'll tell you what problems they're trying to solve. And you'll, you'll learn something <laughs> about your own technology roadmap and where it needs to meet them, you know, at some point in the future, if it's not already there. Mm. Those are the two um, big themes, I would say. I, I, I hear it. I love it because it is uh, when people come and work in startups and they try to drive and generate revenue. Like you, you're, there's no secret. There's no masking. You're a startup. You're a small guy. You're, you know, you're, you're going to have, you don't have all the bells and whistles that the big guys have just yet. Right. And, and maybe you, maybe you, you have some funding, maybe you don't, but truth be told, you don't have that brand equity, that brand recognition. So I look at sales professionals that come from some of these big companies, right? Salesforce.com, Oracle.com. And, and, and they have this, this credibility, right? They, they speak with the company. They're like, oh my goodness, you're the conglomerate in your space. I know who you are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They come to work for a small company and you know, it truly becomes, in my opinion, the sales process becomes an act of service. Like it really is. I have to truly develop an authentic, engaging relationship. And that authentic relationship is saying we are a startup, not in so many words, but truly acknowledging where we're coming, what we're doing. And the way startups scale is they out deliver the value. The big guys forgot just point blank, 100%. I'm going to out deliver the value that the big guys forgot. And the more I out deliver the value, the faster I grow. So, uh, Evan, Evan, last thing here, you know, your company's growing and you said, you know, obviously you were a salesperson one, but as you grow and you scale, are, are, do you currently have, are you building a sales team? Do you, are looking for a sales team? Like you're growing at such a phenomenal rate that I can't, I mean, the sales team has to be growing. What does that process look like right now? Or what is that situation for your company? Yeah, we're um, we're always on the lookout for those unicorns that uh, can handle the the chaos and the lack of resources and the you know some of the uh, aspects of what we have being nebulous or there's a, a there's still a roadmap of our technology that hasn't been built and uh, we have embryonic aspects of a lot of things in place. That's not everybody's cup of tea, and and you named it the the big fortune 50 or fortune 500 logos, the, the people who carry those business cards, um, they're accustomed to a, a ton of support, a ton of process, ton of resources and the brand, just, just the brand, no, you know, no one ever got fired for buying IBM, that kind of thing. So when, when you're asking, um, an enterprise, especially a conservative enterprise, all lenders are conservative to take, um, you know, a look at you as something they've never seen before. Um, and you're challenging multi-billion dollar, well-understood competitors. Um, there, there's a certain level of um, engagement there or, or requirement on the P 
people or the team members that I'm looking to hire that is there's a self-confidence piece that allows you to be transparent without feeling like you have to hoodwink anyone. There's a technical technology awareness and, and, and um, knowledge. You, you actually have to know something about what we're doing under the hood. And I don't mean credit scoring per se. I mean the, the technical infrastructure that we are using because you will be asked about it. You will be challenged on it. If you're not credible or you can't talk to it, then um, the buyer, the, the, the series of buyers in the company, in the prospect, start to lose confidence in, in you or your solution. They, they are reading into your behavior as to, do you actually care about them and their problems? And do you actually know enough about what you're representing to map, map it into their organization? If they feel like that's missing, either of those two things, the empathy and the uh, technical know-how, they're not going to want to put their careers or their you know, decision-making on the line, they, they don't want to be judged uh, wrongly or poorly because they went with you who didn't really know what you were talking about. Um, it's just, there's a lot there. So yes, we're looking for those kinds of unicorn folks or, or management um, caliber people who know how to handle a region or a territory in either credit, if, if you have domain expertise, that's also pretty important, no matter what career, what kind of selling you're doing, have that domain expertise in credit, or also in our case, lead sourcing and lead screening uh, to find the consumer who will, will be a borrower. Um, we, we sell both of those kinds of assessment services, lead generation, lead sourcing and screening, as well as um, assessing the loan applicants. If that's... Um, if that's in someone's background and they've demonstrated an ability to do that in a startup that grows quickly, uh, we had 13x year over year top line growth last year. Um, it's not for the faint of heart, but yeah, uh, they're out there. Awesome. Well, I will say this Evan Crapgrove, Trust Science. I believe that sales unicorn is listening to this show right now. So, Catapult Commissions family, if that's you and you're you fit that description and you think you may have the chops to get into the, to really the startup space, 13X. I mean, that sounds so exciting. People don't realize 13X is also a shit ton of work. So it goes, <laughs> it comes and goes both ways and there's no guarantees, but I love what you shared. Evan, how does the Catapulting Commissions family, if they want to explore more about that opportunity or learn more about Trust Science, how do they get a hold and track you down or find you or learn about you? What's the socials or URLs and all that fun stuff? Sure. Uh, Trust Science, the website, to first see whether or not you, you know what we're in the middle of, because that, that would be important, is trustscience.com, just the way it sounds. Um, um, my email address is first and last name, no punctuation, at trustscience.com. Uh, imagine that that's spelled somewhere yes, on sir. your material. Um, and then, um, uh, yeah, if anyone wants to, I'm I'm very open or transparent. My uh, Phone number is 403-585-3826. That's uh, a good way to get straight through to uh, me. And yeah, or talk to talk to some of our customers. We proudly put their logos. If you know any of them or you know anyone at those customers that you want to get some intel on us from, um, uh, go ahead, start there uh, because they will all tell you a, 
uh, a really, really happy story. And then uh, you can figure out if it's for you or not. Awesome. Well, Evan Crapgrove, trustscience.com. And that you shared his phone number, Evan Crapko. If you're audio only listening, it's Evan, E-V-A, Crapko, C-H-R-A-P-K-O, uh, at trustscience.com. You will find those links in the show notes. So if you're listening, can't find it, don't worry about it. Click that little button that says show notes. You'll pop up. All those links will be there for you to get connected. Evan Crapgrove, Trust Science, please, or thank you for joining the Catapult to Commission show. We wish you nothing but abundant success. And 13X is phenomenal. I mean, I'm, I'm like, my bones got excited when you share that because as a sales enthusiast myself, specifically in this space where you see the startups growing, that just excites me because I know all the work it takes to get there. So congratulations, my friend. You've had three successful uh, ventures that we've shared today in your previous organizations. I believe this is number four. Uh, Catapult to Commissions family, you know what to do at this point. Go ahead and like, subscribe, and comment. Let me know your feedback for Trust Science. Let me know your thoughts for Evan. And if you are that unicorn, if you know that unicorn, Drop us a link. Let us know. We'd love to facilitate that introduction. I will see all of you next week. Thanks again, and have a good day. Catapulting Commission's family, that does it for today's episode. If you found some value, please be sure to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe. That way you're notified of new episodes. If you want to see the video portion of this podcast, head over to YouTube and look up Catapulting Commissions Podcast. Finally, if you want a free copy of Catapulting Commissions, be sure to text the word HELLO to 661-228-8967. Again, text the word HELLO to 661-228-8967. Thanks for listening to the show. I'll see you next week.